Welcome to number 14 of Stockability AI. In this episode, we are embarking on another AI Founder Spotlight. I'm your host, Austin Cornelio, joined by Mike Taylor, the co-host of the show. And today we have a special guest, Brennan Woodruff from GoCharlie AI. GoCharlie is a content generating AI that will help your company save time, reduce cost via their AI assistant, Charlie. Yeah. So thanks guys for having me. I love the episodes that you've been putting out so far. It's been great to kind of follow your guys' journey and like the learning taking place on, on that. So hopefully I can be additive. Um, so Go Charlie really started out, uh, for those that don't know, is a company called Gaudium.ai, uh, which was Latin for joy, but no one knew how to spell it or say it. Uh, so we got about 20 pronunciations of it, and then we realized it's a really awful name for a product. Although now, like the top player in the space is called ChatGPT, which is just an awful freaking name. But you know, we'll keep that aside. But Go Charlie uh, is really a, a labor of love. Uh, I, I met up with two AI PhDs when I was looking to join a company. Wanted to be the business mind that helped power some pretty amazing technical products, and really was born out of the idea of our CEO's sister was a, a marketing agency owner and. Uh, she was struggling to keep up with the amount of clients that she had. And instead of being able to hire, we ultimately created a AI engine that would be able to uh, kind of facilitate all the transactions that she was doing with clients. So she could create content across many different platforms in an easy to use manner. Uh, but I won't lie, our first product out of the gate sucked. We only did ad copy, but now we've um, we've expanded quite a bit. We can write 2,000 to 3,000 word blogs. We can do transcriptions. We can do... Um, image creation. And then we just released something called our AI agent, uh, which effectively can use about 14 different tools in multi-input, multi-task, multi-output type workflows, uh, effectively enabling you to be able to do an entire product launch campaign in a single prompt, which is kind of cool. Um, so GoCharlie is really just focusing on helping brands have digital footprints using AI as a catalyst for cheaper content that's better and tuned to their brand and helps convert. Yeah, that's great. Amazing. Um, I like that you shared some, some, some honesty there around how you started and, and how, how the first iteration of, of the product was, you know, not as great as you thought it would be, but that's part of the whole thing, right, man. You know, like that, that's kind of, uh, the essence of building some of these things. So clearly, you know, you were able to hone in on a need. And it sounds like you're able to build it and, and kind of get it out there. And even though it didn't have all like the bells and whistles, you know, like that's what iteration is all about. And that, that's like the beautiful thing. So. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like you guys starting this podcast, right? Like the first episode, the mountain that you make up in your head about just getting the first thing done is such a high hill to climb. And so like just getting the first product out there was a high hill to climb, but they were like, oh, hey, that wasn't so bad. Let's like keep doing it. Um, and funny enough, I think AI is kind of like a help over that hurdle in a weird way. I'm glad. Yeah. So I was just going to ask you about that, right? Because I, so my background is, is software engineering. I've had a few startups and I'm heavy into product and I'm wondering what you think in terms of AI, if the bar has kind of changed a little bit in a way, because what I, what I'm thinking is now that AI has empowered people to really build things quicker and in often ways better. So do you think that 
that means that anybody that is going to go ahead and embark on building anything really these days has to come out of the gate stronger than they did before, even though that's kind of like the whole startup essence is, you know, MVP, you know, build scrappy and then kind of iterate. Do you think that the whole model has changed um, at all, given the, the current state of, of AI today? Yeah, I, I, I think it's such an interesting question. There's so many ways I want to go with with the response to it. But I, I think I always start with like, where, what's your intention, right? And I think like the greatest opportunity right now for AI is raising the floor for everything. So I think it's easier than ever to build a product that's super simple that people will pay you for. Uh, but I think it is harder than ever to have a breakout product or service because it is now becoming increasingly easy to build anything. Like, I don't know if you guys have been seeing the crazy Twitter demos that go around where you like draw an interface of an app yeah. on a freaking canvas and then the AI just codes yeah, it's it. wild. Like, that's just, it, it's mind blowing. We're talking about building entire apps from a single prompt, which if you can do that, then like, how do you differentiate? Um, so I do think, so I, I guess the short answer would be, yes, I do think that it makes it a lot harder for you to stand out uh, in fundraising to customers like in customers are becoming more and more educated on these tools. So I really think there's a quote from Sarah Gao that I really, I really admire her work uh, so far. She runs um, conviction uh, funds, but she basically said that startups are helicopters um, and not, and not meant to be like these slow rising things. Startups should come out of the gate and, and really take off. And so I think if anything, AI, has made it so easy to play and compete with one another that I, I do think that you have to just be worlds better more than ever, especially in software. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, I think it's become easier, but then infinitely harder in, in a lot of ways, you know, and it's, it's yeah. almost like really forced. I mean, you made a fantastic point about the, the value and like you need people that are building stuff right now, like there has to be so much emphasis on like what the value is to your users or to yourself. Right. I mean, there's a few different reasons where you could go ahead and like, you know, um, decide to, to build something, but yeah, like I've, I've spent so much time thinking about this exact topic and, you know, it can be, it can be a, like really, um, inspirational but it can also get in your head so i find that that i have to spend a lot of time just like talking myself off cliffs sometimes and being like you know it's still worth doing this it's, it's still <laughs> worth being in the industry and like just go for it and everything but you know I, i'm uh I'm, I'm more inspired every day but sometimes you just have to battle with yourself on it um but you know well yeah and i mean you know being able to build anything with ai is is a really double-edged sword, but, you know, let's, let's pair that with incumbents that are now moving faster than they ever have to adopt the technology and build things with it. And now you're really swimming in just a, a shark feeding frenzy. Uh, so it's, it's not for the faint of heart. If you're thinking about starting an AI startup, it is a very difficult thing. Uh, but I think Austin said it best. Like if you focus on a specific problem that you solve and AI enables you to solve it in a better way. I think that's a much better vantage point than, Hey, we're an AI company. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, plain and simple. I've even told my team that several times. I'm like, no startup is an AI company. You are a problem solving company and AI should enable you to do it better than other people. If you're going to be an AI company, you might as well be open AI. And it's very hard to compete with those guys too. So I always encourage anyone wanting to start a business, be a problem solving company and everything else will flow from that. Yeah. I I think that's a great point. And uh, I think that what both of you kind of touched on is this, um, when you're starting anything, I think the getting out, getting out of the box, getting it done, you know, like for me, I'm a writer. So like if I'm writing a screenplay, I know like the first draft is going to be trash, you know, but I got to get it out of my brain. And so I get it out and then you go through the editing process and you know, you do that. Right. But what I find with, these uh gpts at least and even with your product i was playing around with it today is that getting out of the box is a lot easier when you have an idea generator in front of you so you could write down this idea and then all of a sudden you have like a thousand words or two thousand words and you're like okay like this isn't exactly what i want but it's close and it's getting me you know gets the ball rolling you know that's something that in the past, you would sit there in front of a blank page and not know what to do. And now you now you just say, oh, I have yeah. an idea about this and tell me about this or make a story about that. And, uh, you know, that prompting really helps create. Yeah. And it's such a funny subject that you just mentioned, because for a while I was believing in the fairy dust quite a bit uh, about the AI industry, which I'm sure we're going to dive into a little bit later. But um someone said it so eloquently the ai doesn't create new things it creates net nuance that you would have gotten to if you had the time to spend on a long enough horizon and i thought that was a pretty good way of putting it because it's been shown that these models aren't really all that great outside of the training data that they've seen but if you can save thousand hours by just asking the same question you were asking in your own head to this machine and it comes up with an idea that's equally useful you don't have to get to agi for that to have use right thousand so i think that's like an under discussed part of this is we're going to get to better ideas faster that i think is so hugely important and that's like one of the things that personally i really enjoy trying to drive home when i'm having these conversations is because i can like I would have paid so much money in the past to have somebody that I can talk to and like bounce ideas off any, at any time that I want. Like that is no, that has existed for so few people in, in the world up until like two years ago. Right. So uh, whoever said that quote, it's, it's very well put. And I think that's, it's such a huge point because now that opens up an entire can of worms. Like if we can do that, like now what is the next thing? Because there's going to be another optimization that that's going to happen on top of that. Right. And, and what is that? And that will, you know, lead us into the whole future conversation here that I'm sure we'll get into, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic point. We have documents that talk to us. Like that's, that's just wild. To yeah. Me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was we were doing the prompts uh on the demo over the weekend and you know we say okay give us a marketing strategy for 7 days and it comes up with a marketing strategy for 7 days and we're like put this in a table form and make it 30 days and it's like 30 days and, and it's in a table form and then it's like generate an image I could use on Sunday with that and it and it comes up with a, a perfectly appropriate image and it took a minute 
you know, that's something that would take, you know, a team of people to do a 30 day marketing strategy. Yeah. It's those kind of things that are the wow factor. And, you know, we talked about, um, you know, the, the whole Sora thing with the single prompts (laughs) generating, generating the, um, a video on a, on a really basic prompt. The prompts were not extensive at all. Uh, yeah. would you would you yeah. think of that Brennan when you saw that dude Sora broke my mind when I first saw it I was like I knew that they were up to something wild when they acquired that company that was like a bunch of just 100x engineers on creating virtual mm-hmm. worlds like I knew something had to be up and then I finally realized what they did for Sora which was they just used Unreal Engine and those guys to just build virtual worlds and then that created the training data so they don't even have to worry about this whole Hollywood thing. It's like the training data was literally video games that they created and made yeah, mods. Yeah, jokes on you. Which I don't know if a lot of people know. <laughs> yeah. Like OpenAI back in the day, like their approach to AI was all like NPCs and video games. So it was like Dota 2 bots was how they were training better and better AI. And so like to see them bring that into the video world, I think was just mind bit and the quality of the videos is insane plus it's just like the best tiktok strategy so so good yeah oh open ai <laughs> is a i have like i talk about this on on this show quite a bit i have like a love-hate relationship with them <laughs> and i think that like you know some of it's just it's just like a perfect strike of like theatrics and real hardcore engineering and problem solving it's just like the whole thing and but and it's like anybody really knows like the story behind like Sam Altman and who he is and where he comes from and like, the the whole story is just like worthy of some sort of like you know movie or something really but yeah Sora will generate yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah what we're waiting I, I, I go through a love hate with them because like I've seen the head the head of their developer relations talk at events. And he's all about like, we're making, we're trying to make the best AI for developers to use to build products. And I'm like, okay, cool. So explain to me chat GPT, chat GPT enterprise, and then you just building things that your developers have already built. There's like, there's no good answer there. And it's very clear to me that like open AI is just using the API as a a data acquisition strategy. And if you're thinking anything other than that as a developer, then you're super naive. Like if you have a good enough idea, they will throttle you. And if it's a really good idea where you pay for a private model, they will probably release that same use case yep. themselves if they have hundred percent. So in that chat GPT is degrading in quality because they're getting to the level of data that they need. Like it's very clearly not a research institution anymore and very much so a profit maximizing entity. Like it's just, just no other way. Yeah, around it. for sure. Thank you so much for highlighting that. I, I like it. it it's mm-hmm. just like, it's such an important thing to grasp, right? If anybody's thinking about like what, what the motives are behind this institution, like I think you've nailed it. So I think that's a awesome segue into the next thing that I want to ask you, because we were just talking a bunch about ChatGPT and you know, it's, it's functionality. So where do you see Gog Charlie AI as like really differentiating itself within, you know, the market here, right? Because one of the things about just the whole space and, you know, being able to build quickly and having a lot of power is it's like we talked about a few minutes ago, it's, it's a challenge to really have a leading edge. So what is your strategy around that? Yeah. So I think anytime that you're facing a Goliath in an industry, like you'd be silly to try to play the same game. 
You're not going to be able to outpace them. You're not going to be able to outmarket them. And open AI is just, it's got too much of the collective mind share right now for you to go toe to toe with them quite simply. So for us, we focus on a couple things. One is the last mile of AI, as I like to call it, which is where ChatGPT is going to give you a generic answer. We're going to give you the end all be all. A prime example of this in the marketing sphere is like for Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, blogs for SEO, any of that, there's very platform specific things and best practices to follow around tonality, context length, keyword density, messaging, brand voice. We build all of that into the platform so that you get those final draft versions right off the bat. So that's kind of the first way. We say it as business tooling. And then I think second is the degree of customization. And that's that's where I see the most potential for us. So we are already two times the length of custom instructions that ChatGPT has. But then we've also just released something called a memory vault, which effectively is an AI brain that you can store files about your company or your client's company or some initiative or project that you're working on. And Charlie uses that as context for everything he creates or allows you to query information across that. So I think of Charlie as like building an actual, you know, brain. You want to give it senses. You want to give it tools to use. You want to give it a knowledge of you. That's the way to to get to useful AI in my mind. And then the last bit is what I call, you can call it automation. I call it intelligent automation. But how do we get people to not have to be in our UI to get value from Charlie? So the first take at that is just a plain scheduler where the AI can run prompts when you are not in the UI on a cadence that you set. So how many times are you doing a recurring task is a podcast creator? You, you're, every time a new episode comes out, you're going to have to tie that into a transcription that you do, new content that you produce. So we're giving you ways to run prompts without you having to come into the app. And then my hope is that over a long term, you can do more and more complex things where an AI might go away for three weeks and it's regularly giving you progress reports on some longer arching goal, like grow my business by 30x over the next three years, come up with a plan and it's just crunching away. We'll check in with you via email and go back. So I think that's really the way that we're seeking to differentiate is the last mile on AI or the customization and then ultimately the... um, the ability to use the product without having to come into the UI at all. Yeah. I love it. Um, I think that's a really good differentiator. Cause I think that we've, uh, you know, we've talked about how the, these, it's gotta be siloed and it's gotta be private at some point because we're all going to have some kind of AI co-pilot for lack of a better word, but I would be, hesitant to upload my, you know, my business files to a company that is, you know, like open AI where, you know, who knows where that information is going to turn up. It could turn up in a, in a query uh, by somebody, by a competitor or something, you know, who knows where that, uh, that data is going to be stored and inherently untrusting of big, big business. But are you guys thinking something where it's going to be locally stored or is it going to be, it's still going to be cloud-based or? You, you know, coming into this whole thing, I naively didn't think that privacy was as big of a deal as people made it. Uh, but then when I started to see that there was both professional and personal use cases here, I totally started to understand it. And then it's actually become a lot more of our service offering. 
So there's like varying degrees of privacy that you have in, in our offerings, right? So at the very basic tier, it's just shared models in the back end. That's our professional tier. And when I say shared models, that's shared in our ecosystem. It's not really going anywhere else. It's all our stack that we've built from the ground up that can be utilized across the different uh, platforms. Shared models just means that everybody's using the same model, but all of your stuff is private. Business tier then adds a level of complexity where you have dedicated file vaults like we were just talking about, but you still use the same shared backends, just doesn't leave any of our infrastructure. And then we go all the way up to our core AI tier, which is we privately deploy all the models either on your virtual private cloud or in a separate AWS instance. That's typically quite expensive as you can imagine. We have to stand up specific GPUs, it's based on your usage, we customize the model to your data. You're basically getting your own model at that point. Few organizations are willing to spend that much, but it gets them over the hurdle with their legal teams quite a bit. If you want to go up market in AI right now, you cannot be using OpenAI as your backend, plain and simple. Yeah. And once you made that investment, though, like that's a big hurdle that's out of the way. So, so that's, that's, yeah. It can drive a market wedge, which I never expected privacy and private deployments to be that. It's certainly helping us in quite a few of those conversations. Yeah, I would imagine. I like that strategy. That's really good. Fantastic. So another really good segue. I think that that brings me to my next question here. So so what trends in technology do you see, you know, here shaping the future? I think you kind of touched on a few things, but what is what is like your your five year kind of lens here? I don't know, man. I don't know if I would have saw the last five years. Such a hard question. I I met Mike (laughs) in the last five years. I didn't see that coming, certainly. Um, It's hard to put anything on long horizons after seeing Sora come out, (laughs) to be honest, because that was just so ridiculous. But it's something I've actually thought about a lot. So there is a version of five years from now where we cease to interact with computers at all. And it's just us talking and we have such capable agents that they can execute any software for us. And they're literally just gonna be coming to check back in. Now, that's a pretty wild idea because then like what happens with MacBooks? What happens with computers? What happens with the screens that we're looking at right now? the internet's not set up for that type of future. So how does that work? And more importantly, do the power brokers of the current internet want that to work? I think would be the biggest hurdle. So that's one side of the fence. And if we get there, then basically all B2B software built to date is useless, which is kind of a mind bending thing to think about, or it just becomes an agent interaction layer. Where I think the more likely thing is, is it will have a mixed approach. So I don't think that screens will go away. I think that people will be too familiar. It's going to be really hard to get behavioral change. But I do think that the way that we interact, uh, I think we will all become automation experts. We will all have long running agents that have an understanding of our goals and us and kind of try to take actions on our behalf. So it will be more akin to maybe a friend that's like really close that you text all the time, but you don't really see in person all that much. I think that might be closer to what we're going to get from a technology experience. Um, That being said, if you would ask me when I started this company, our intention was to replace marketing agencies entirely. 
And I thought we could do it pretty rapidly. And what I found was that no one pays marketing agencies because they don't know how to do something for the most part. They pay marketing agencies because they don't have the time. And so I still think that agencies and consultants will exist, but I think that world changes quite materially. We're partners with uh, an agency that basically has admitted, hey, the old agency model sucks. We're going to become a technology implementation mm -hmm. partner. And you're starting to see that with a lot of the big consultants yep. as well. So I think it's just going to be more invasion of our day-to-day -day for tech than already is here, which is kind of wild to think about. Yeah, it is. So it's really interesting um, that you you're talking when talking about that. I always because we're so into this AI stuff and we're talking about it all the time and we're excited about it and scared about it. But you know, the majority of the world is still just going to work and doing their thing every day. You know, so I could see how the p more tech savvy people who are involved in these kind of mid level business case uses would you know, see these things where you could just do workflows or talk to a, a chat bot and it's going to put together your Excel spreadsheets for you for reporting or whatever. But yeah, you know, there's, there's still a, you know, the majority of the planet isn't doing these kind of jobs. They're, you know, they're truck drivers, which might go away. They're, you know, lawyers, which who knows if we're going to need them in a couple of years, you know, uh, but I feel like AI is like more of a, a white collar job killer than a, than, you know, the regular tradesman, you know, how is it going to affect them? How do you think the yeah. regular, the regular guy doing a nine to five, wearing a hard hat or the, you know, the plumbers of the world, how do you think it's going to impact them? Oh man. So this is good. I have watched the newest South Park episodes <laughs> and I am old enough to know that South Park's usually right on things, even if we don't want to admit it. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget. They, I think it was like a Christmas special a long time ago where they were like, it's not about likes and popularity anymore. It's eyeballs and who can get the most eyeballs and what names are certain to get you eyeballs. And like, that's all that modern media has become. It's just like a bunch of tried and true names that are risk averse for you to spend money on. And that's become a lot of the marketing now. So South Park kind of says that like the tradesmen are going to be the ones that will be in short supply because no one actually knows how to do anything. And all the white collar workers that don't know how to do anything anymore are going to get replaced by chat GPT and AI. Now, I think that's a pretty, you know, out there take. But I do think that like tradesmen are going to be very in demand in the future. And I think we might see a resurgence of trade skills is like a very popular thing. What's interesting to me about that trend, right? So there are so many people that are complaining about not wanting to go back to office, but I don't think those people really realize what they are saying. So like the market always takes care of itself. Well, if you can't get people to come into the office in the States, why would I pay state level salary when I could go over to a third world country, get someone that's willing to work 20 hours a day and it's a fraction of the cost. So that's an interesting trend to watch, but let's add AI onto this. So now instead of getting the person in the third world country, I can just have someone that operates all my AI services onshore. And now I have a company size of 10 with a bunch of AI instead of a company size of 100. Yeah. So I think it's going to be super interesting to see how those kind of macro trends play into AI adoption. Because I don't think AI is quite there no. yet. No. 
but, but when it does get there, it's going to it's going to be some rather rough transformation. Yeah, periods. for sure. So take all of what you just said, right? And now we're going to go one step deeper, and you layer politics and governments and just working together as a world on top of that and like you very quickly come to a spot where you have to like literally change everything all because of generative ai and and what has has unleashed the simplest thing like i always like find it so funny that i i've always had ai in in my head you know like even like a decade ago i'm like well what happens when the robots come what happens when AI happens and I could always been kind of worried about it, but I I never saw it coming to fruition this way. Like I never thought it was going to be a freaking chatbot that comes along and like disrupts things so hard. Like you could never convince me of that. I would, I would tell you that it would be a million other things, but, but like how it's unfolded and all the things that you just said are, um, I think highly realistic and happening, but how does it all come together and, and what happens and, if it is progressing so fast, right? And right now, like only a very small, you know, slice of the population is even aware of it. Like it's going to be complete insanity. So is it like, a, is this all just like a, a crazy like joke or, a, you know, it's like, it's very hard to wrap your brain around in some ways. But, um, but yeah, I also think that the automation part that you touched on is, is going to probably happen relatively quickly. I think that you know, there's a lot yeah. of people playing with that. Like myself, I, I have a whole bunch of automation ideas that I'm going to work on here next in this, this, uh, the rest of the year. And I think that if you can start automating a lot of this stuff, it sucks for other human beings that you would rather hire, but uh, like it's undeniably valuable when you can have something work on problems and you can be doing other things. You can be sleeping, you can be reinvesting in yourself. Like who wants to burn themselves to the ground? Like, you know, I, I work until yeah. like one, two o'clock in the morning on this stuff, like all the time. And I'm lucky that I have such a good like wife and family and they're like, cool with it. But you know, like what if I could just still have all these great ideas and just have the AI work on it and I could come back and I could work normal hours and not burn myself out. I mean, who would not want to do that? Right. Yeah. I mean, let me, let me pose this question to you guys. So like we, we talk about, you know, the, the downside of like super powered AI, but like if I think about one of my favorite things that AI has done so far, it's that it helps students cheat on homework regarding research papers. And the answer isn't because like, I wish I would have had this in school it's because I thought research papers were such a terrible way to gauge anyone's acumen or mastery of subject matter. I always thought that case studies or applied presentations or more facilitated group projects were the better route. And literally within like three months of the release of ChatGPT, universities were banning ChatGPT so that people couldn't write papers. And it was hilarious because what we had been hoping for in the change for education for decades was now happening in the matter of months because of ChatGPT. So let's then extrapolate that with all these other areas that it's impacting. Well, I'm going to be honest, guys, I never wanted to transcribe a podcast ever, like ever, like that was never something I wanted to do. Now I can just pop that into an AI 
It'll transcribe it for me and it'll use all that transcription for whatever else I want to create. So I honestly think that a lot of the transformation that's happening are things that people just didn't want to do in the first place or things that should have been changed in the first place. Now, will I say that there are definitely people who have lost their jobs because AI can now do it cheaper, faster, better? Yeah. And I think that's going to happen for a lot more jobs in the not so distant future. But my hope is that it kind of forces a different way of living that is not just revolving entirely around work. Um, but I, I, I think that, you know, I'd be naive to think that most people don't derive the, a lot of their purpose, myself included from right. their work. So if that goes away, I do fear for what the downside. Of exactly. That is. Because you're, you're, uh, I mean, it's just human nature to be, attached to your own self-worth and whatever you think that might be and a big part of that is how much i can earn and how much like stuff i can buy i mean we live in a capitalistic machine and that machine needs to be fueled right and i think that that's like i i personally am a fan of you know that sort of situation like i i like free markets and i like to be able to be an entrepreneur and, and build stuff but you know this is like kind of a uh an interesting point where we're at here. um, Brendan, what you said about education is really important, I think, because not only has the system been broke for years, you know, we got bamboozled into this idea that, you know, you have to go to college and you have to, you have to take all these courses that don't mean anything, you know, like poli sci and, you know, macroeconomics and things that, you know, you, you suffer through in college when you, you could be learning more practical skills. And I think that, you know, at some point colleges will have to get more into the the trade school model in terms of no matter what you're trying to learn. If you want to learn coding, why would you spend money to go to a college to learn computer science now instead of just using Udemy or YouTube and, you know, teaching yourself? Um, now you could use chat GPT and different things, you know, tools to teach yourself coding. And we met a kid yesterday that was, you know, taught himself Python because he knows that he needs to up that skill. He was like a farming tech, um, and then changed his whole, changed yeah. his whole route to go into this and starts teaching himself Python. So I think colleges and education in general is going to have to change because this has been going on since the 1500s when, you know, England, you know, needed the entire world to know the same things, you know, and we're still using the same age-based learning, you know, you get to this, you know, you're 12 years old and you're in this grade and that grade. And, and I, you know, I think the yeah. jig is up. What, yeah. What happens to those societal constructs if you can learn 12, 12th grade math in third grade, if you're motivated and curious exactly. enough, like, yeah, just, it like thing that's why i'm saying like rough transformation because everything's based on some very quite frankly archaic things that have been there and people are kind of distrusting of institutions now so introduce a technology to that environment that can like change the paradigm in literally a month's time we're we're in one of the coolest periods but also one of the wildest periods that i think we will have i agree it's it's and we live through covid so like that's that's saying yeah. something. Well, we, it was COVID and then this. That's the crazy thing about it. It was like a double whammy because it's like, here we go. Yeah. You know, life was pretty good. It was a little weird. It was getting strange. But then boom, COVID hits. Like everybody is just completely shell shocked. Everything just like changes. And then, okay, we come out of it. And then like, you know, th- this whole thing with that. I remember I used to talk to my friends 
probably about like three years ago now. Um, and it was, it was around probably like the chat GPT, like two ish era when all of the training was being done in Reddit on like our simulator threads and everything like that. And I would, I would pull this stuff up and I would text it to my friends. And like, I was completely like, this was catching my attention like crazy. And I would like show this to people and I would be like, what do you guys think of this? And like, I could, like, they were like, some were like, yeah, it's pretty cool. Somebody just brushed it off. And I'm like, how are you guys not seeing like what is about to happen here? You know, I didn't even really <laughs> anticipate like that this is where we were going to be like so soon. So it surprised me as well, but it's just been such a, I guess the point I'm trying to make is it's such a weird time and like so much is happening so fast. And um, it's just so important to have these conversations. So yeah, and I remember when GPT two was too too not safe to release, and now we're on GPT four. No it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like I have a friend who said, you know, they had a great idea for these like um, bot swarms, and they were going to use all this stuff. And he was really concerned. He said, you know, it's going to be harmless in Chat GPT four, but by the time we get to Chat GPT twenty, it could destroy humanity you know and it's like oh yeah. my god and then like a week later like somebody else already released it you know and it's like he's like oh god we're we're in such trouble but i, I wanted to tell you a quote uh brennan that was uh it was kind of on the lines of what you were talking about there was this quote and i've said it before but the real problem with humanity is that we have paleolithic emotions medieval institutions and godlike technology and uh <laughs> and what a quote Paleolithic. Wow, what a word. Yeah, oh. pale, paleolithic emotions. Um, but that was in 2009. So, you know, I can imagine what Edward Wilson uh, thinks about, you know, this whole AI trend. I mean, I know personally, since Austin and I started talking about it a, about a year ago, that I feel like I grabbed onto the back of a freight train and I'm just getting dragged behind it, you know, like or Indiana Jones behind the behind the truck, you know, and, with my whip, because it's, it's yeah. just moving so fast. I mean... Having a startup that was in the market before the chat GPT craze took over the world, I feel like I got hit by the train instead. That was <laughs> right. it, it was fun. Although now I'm gripping on the side instead of just taking it based on. Hold on. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, the pace of innovation is insane. However, sometimes I kind of feel like it's the Don't Look Up movie. I don't know if you guys have watched that one where. Like Leo DiCaprio is like, this is coming, this is coming, this is coming. Like no one's really listening to him. And then it like goes to his head. I feel like that's like modern AI researchers are like seeing this moment of fame. And then they're just releasing dog shit mm -hmm. research that is not founded on anything or is not based in scientific method. And that is causing more harm than anything for me right now. It's like I see all these really cool AI demos of these cool papers that seem to indicate this. And most of it is just terrible. Yeah. Like the actual scientific method behind is awful. So I feel like you got researchers coming in decrying things, but I don't know. It, it, to, to me, I feel like the killing humanity thing is really overrated. Like I feel like it's really overblown and I don't think we're going to get to that type of system anytime soon. And I really don't have an idea why, how any system would be getting out of the control of the creator. I think that's honestly just a shroud of mystery that they're using for regulatory. Yeah, culture. I think um, I think you're right. So my take on this is similar. I it comes back to the theatrical comment that I made. There has to be always something to keep people engaged, right? So 
even yeah. if they did have AGI, even if they did have like this crazy super intelligence, uh, like you, you can't release it onto the public just like that tomorrow. If they had it and said, okay, if Sam Altman's like, I got, I have AGI, it can do everything. I don't think he can just release that into society. And I don't think that's going to work. I think that's going to fail. So I don't think that they have that, my own personal opinion, but I think the goal is to get there. So I think like what the tactic is, is just, it's a, it's like I said before, it's a, a combination of building stuff that is, is definitely pretty cool, but also, you know, very much faking it to you make it to an extent, you know, the Google Gemini stuff, when that uh, was released a few months ago, like very honest around the fact that that was fabricated in a lot of ways, you know, yeah, that was like the real AI there, but there was like a level of polish on that, that was if that wasn't there, that wouldn't have gotten the attention of of the people that it did. Right. So that was remarkable, because it looked like it was being orchestrated in real time. But then you know, the conductor of it came out and said, Hey, you know, like this, this was not quite real. And this was kind of faked a little bit. So I think we have a lot of that. I think that that kind of transcends across a couple of these different things that happen. And especially like some of the topics about, you know, mass replacement of, of jobs and everything like that could definitely happen for sure. But, you know, I, I think what I'm trying to say and what you're saying as well is, Sometimes you just got to get out of your own head about it and live in the moment more than ever. And, and just you can't control it like nobody can can really control whatever happens here. But it's a fantastic show and we all have a front row seat at it. So, yeah, Altman is a is becoming quickly the conductor of the orchestra when it comes to the media. He exactly. knows that everything that OpenAI does will turn yep. heads. So he's like, yeah, $7 trillion. Exactly. Why not throw that fucking wild number out there? And let's go ahead, eject me from my own company. Like do that while you're at it. Like, this guy knows exactly what he's doing and how to pull these strings. So say what you will about yeah. him. Like everybody, yeah. like, I, I drive that point. You have to know who these people are and like where they're coming from and what their motives are. And they, they, they're pros at this clearly. Right. Yeah, and everybody's like, oh, everybody loves Sam Altman. They all hearted forever. And it's like, no, it's because the tender offer to buy their shares at $80 billion is going to go off the table if Sam doesn't stay in. It had nothing to do with loyalty, everything to do with, man, I want to buy that house I was thinking of buying. Capitalism is is trying to do It is, man. And that's why you can't can't (laughs) kill it. Like you, You can't completely kill it. You can change it a little bit, but you still have to... You like the, the capitalistic beast still needs to be fueled. Like people still need to be able to buy stuff. People still need to be able to make money to buy the crap that they don't need. Like that's why it's a whole nother interesting thing to think about the white collar replacement. And if you could even really do that, because I'm not really convinced that you can, because who's going to buy all this stuff? Like who's going to fuel the beast? I mean, well, who, yeah, who's going to, who's going to buy it. But then, so Perfect example of this, which I was hoping we would get to, is the ROI discussion, right? So, like, we we initially set out to replace marketing agencies. Well, you know who pays marketing agencies? Retail brands. Do you think a retail brand is going to let an AI system autonomously post stuff externally that could potentially cause mass fallout for their brand or change their stock price? No. The answer was inevitably no. Right. So if you're not allowing it to function autonomously, then the ROI discussion gets a little bit more interesting because do I still have to employ a person 
to evaluate all these things. Okay, well, if I still have to employ the person, does that mean that I can have less of those people and just give them an AI tool? Okay, well, then if I have to pay the salary of that second or third person that I don't have to hire just to have this AI tool each year, what's more valuable? Having the AI tool for the smaller team or just having a larger team with more hands to do things? And so I think that's the, the the hurdle. I think that's why so many enterprises are talking about AI in their earnings reports, but no one's actually implementing it in practice. Like very little penetration. And the stuff that people are using it for is like very unsexy. Yeah. And I would argue that I the mo- majority of OpenAI's revenue is probably FOMO people that are like, I'm now chief AI officer because I'm the first one that used ChatGPT. And now I'm going to get my whole company to buy a ChatGPT enterprise so I can get a promotion for being the person that brought AI into the company, which don't get me wrong. That's awesome. I love that hustle. Do it. Do that thing. But the amount of people I talk to where they're like, I don't know what to use ChatGPT for is way too high for me to think that we've really figured out. The numbers don't add up. They, They don't add up at all, for sure. Yeah, that's such a good point. It's like we talked about the uh, being in front of the empty prompt. Like the, no, most people don't know what to do with it when they get there. Exactly. And yeah. if they can't feel good about it very soon, they're not going to come back. So that's one of the reasons that, you know, like we did the demo that we did the other day at the Cannabis Expo is like you could very well be this person who has heard about it and, you know, wants to do some marketing magic or whatever, but they don't really know how to start. And then they're disappointed. And then they're like, okay, well, I'm not going to come back to this again, because it's not like everybody's making it to be like such a big deal. Then they feel scammed. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that was a big issue for us at points too. Like people would buy the product and they couldn't figure out how to get it to do the things they would see in the tutorials that we've made, even though we gave them template prompts and people would be like, well, I want a refund now. And I'm like, Oh, did you even try to to use a tool? Like, talk to me about what you're trying to do. I'll show you how to do it. And it's it's just a whole different ball game from a product building standpoint. Because how many products in the the life of technology have you not really had a good grasp around the entirety of what that product can do? Like, product development used to be very much linear, and with these LLMs, there's so many edge cases you can't even think about much less how are people going to approach this blank box? It's like the flexibility that we've enabled also creates its own set of problems that weren't present in product development right. before. Yeah. It's super interesting to see how, how different companies have dealt with it. So Brendan, I got a question for you. Um, yeah. How, how would you have, if, if you were doing this again with the Go Charlie, how would you have used AI to help you build it? Or could you have, or, mm-hmm. you know, would, would, would any of these models been useful you know, if they were available when you were when you started, I like to think that I would have used ChatGPT a little bit more at the beginning, just to like have something to bounce ideas off of. Early day, our first four people, it was two AI PhDs in our CTO, and not a lot of business acumen there. Like they they become worlds better at that, but like I was the only one that had worked in a, a true business field, if you will for the most part. Uh, so having just an assistant that was easier to interact with than, you know, an AI that creates ad copy would have been really great. I think that's first and foremost. I think secondly, I would have encouraged my team to use it for coding a lot more so that we could build a lot faster. Um, third, I think this, this is just an idea that I've, I've always had 
and I don't know if it'll ever come to fruition, but I kind of wish that we would just replace web pages with a chat bot. So like instead of a landing page, you just have a chat bot that's like your mascot or something like that. And it tells you what the company's about. And then you like, you ask questions and then it negotiates a price with you and done. Like, and I think we're kind of getting to that place anyway. Um, but that's how I wish I would have used AI is just to make every touch point with customers a lot more interactive, uh, more than anything. Yeah. Um, I, I love the example yeah. around the, um, the, the, the death of the web page. Uh, so I just started a new, a new, um, branch of, of my company that I've owned for a, quite a while here. And I think we might've talked about this on the first like call that we had together where I thought that that would be a really cool interface. And I think that I'm, I'm probably going to eventually build this where that's how you interact with the company, right? You know, you can make it look really nice, much better than just like a, like an input, but Hey, like tell me about the, the last four clients that you worked with. Um, these are stuff that they want to know anyways. So that's why I think there's really cool opportunity is taking the 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 idea of a chat bot, but then like building a cool user experience on top of it outside of just like an input text box. Like personally, I don't really I don't like that. I think that it could be way better. I also think that there's like UX problems when you really start like interacting with these chat bots and like if you can't really read that fast, like you're gonna like it's janky, like it's kind of not that great of an experience. So there's a whole bunch of cool things that I think that people should do and really think about in terms of like that experience. So it's a, it's an interesting idea. I've, I've also thought about it quite a bit. Yeah. I, I think the under discussed thing is like, okay, if AI, if superpowered AI becomes a thing, what has to change? Like, is there another way that the internet gets structured? Is it just an AI? Everybody's got an AI that crawls everything. Is it an AI agent that acts with an interacts with another platform's AI agent? When you tell your AI agent to go find you a new basketball, does it automatically go to Amazon? Is there a way to hack the attention of said agent? Um, are people going to bid in the same way? Are we just really recreating a more efficient internet than what is already present? Like, there's so many questions I think come up as a result of that. Well, one of the things I think about a lot in terms of the, you know, the internet experiences, and since I have all these plugins and weird things happening, you know, it's if I just type in something in a Google search, it comes up and gives me, you know, a full answer, you know, in, in the right panel. Um, a couple of them, if you're in, in internet or what's it called, Microsoft Edge, you know, my whole <laughs> thing is set up. It's like, you know, there's five different answers, but all of them are filtered through these bots. So it's <laughs> like, am I getting, you know, like I'm more, you know, maybe it's our age or whatever, you know, but I'm used to, I'm used to the way the internet works where it's like, you know, you're getting a bunch of different results. If you want to, you know, click on a next page, although 99% of people don't ever click on the second page of Google. <laughs> but if you, you know, you want to like do a little deeper dive on something, you might click on a page or two and you see references and there's websites and there's a certain amount of credibility to them. But if it's just like, Sam Altman's version of the truth, you know, coming at me, um, but that's, or Google's version of the truth coming at me, then, then I don't have any backup sources of the information. You know, we were just talking Austin and I were talking about like some of these pictures that, you know, you want to get a generated image. We should start saving them as, as long as you could generate them, you know, like go on and yeah. create a pot leaf, you know, an AI pot leaf and, and save the image are... because you're never going to get 
They're going to become. You're never going to be able to get another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the real NFTs. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. So. I have one more question. I know we're running low on time here. This has been a fantastic conversation, by the way, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Um, really, <laughs> really, you. really loving it. So I think like there's been so many good segues here into the topics. It's just kind of like happening naturally. Brennan, how do you balance the ethical considerations of AI development, especially regarding authenticity and, and copyright? And just a lot of the stuff we're seeing with, you know, bias as well right like you have a you have an ai tool that specifically works with content so this one should be probably pretty close and near and dear to your heart right uh, i understand that you have full, full control you're cha- you're training your own model and everything right but still like this is going to be in the back of people's minds you know all the time it's uh, I, I have like a lot of different ways that I've I've thought about this, and I, I like to think that I'm kind of I see both sides of the fence here. Um, I don't really like the people that are like, oh yeah, like I can use copyrighted information. So I, you know, what, I'll, I'll go out on a limb here. I have a bit of a bone to pick with the open source community because I I've curated a huge echo chamber of AI stuff. And I see a lot of people that are very open source maximalist. And those same people that are open source maximalist think that copyright law just simply doesn't exist. And, you know, I think laws are there for a reason. But what I find interesting is that they're okay with copyright law not existing when they're training an AI model. But if someone takes their AI model, improves it, doesn't give them any credit, they get really mad. And it's just this weird, weird thing. So I think from an AI perspective and like building our own models, I, I think from an ethical perspective, people are going to use more synthetic data. I think that's why Sora went the video game route. I think that's why Google has went the synthetic data route because they don't want to deal with the lawsuits of training on all the YouTube data that people didn't knowingly know we're going to get fed into AI models. We use pretty much all synthetic data that we've generated ourselves through either our own tasks or using other LLMs um, to generate. And I think the ethical part is certainly something that has to be considered. Time will tell if like the Adobe strategy where you just train on a library that you already have is going to be enough to move the needle for enterprises that want to adopt this technology uh, or not. I, I mean... There's a bunch of different ways to approach ethics. I generally try to approach it from a a training data perspective. But I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to just like, don't be a shitty person and steal things. Um, I've yet to see someone like I really wanted us to become like the Spotify of training AI models. But it's just the economics don't make enough sense yet. I think we're a couple flips of efficiency away from being able to to do something like that, where artists will be able to create their own models, monetize them via platforms, and uh, you'll be able to serve all those models for them to use for other needs. Um, I think it's just too hard to train models and too expensive to train models at that scale right now for pretty much anyone outside of the big players. Yeah, I'm interested in when we'll get there, because I I think we might need to get there, especially if we want to enable people to build stuff. Because like it's become yeah. very apparent just in this conversation that 
it's not going to be acceptable to rely on the likes of Google or OpenAI. Like you're going to have to be able to handle it somehow on your own, but also not like completely break the bank on it. So. Yeah. I mean, there's like, I I won't sit here and say that I I love every part about it, but I got to say that there's definitely so many people that will post the exact same thing on social media that I'm kind of excited for an AI that just posts those things. And I don't have to follow six accounts to say the same thing anymore. Like there's definitely parts where I think AI will be super useful, but the ethical considerations I think are, are there. It's odd to me though, that they come up as often as they do. Like, it seems a lot of people are all of a sudden caring about the ethics of big technology. Yeah. In a way that I haven't seen before. Yeah. And it's kind of like, where were all you people when LimeWire was just raiding MP3s? And it's it's almost like ethics has become this like cocktail party topic for AI where people are like, I don't want to use it not ethical, but then they're using chat GPT to write text messages to their significant other. Like, is that ethical? I don't know. But it's ethics is such like a weird topic to talk around, around conversation. And I think it's merited with AI for sure. But it's just, um, it's interesting to see a lot of people with really weird takes that don't seem to ever have held a similar opinion. It's interesting that you said that. Oh, sorry, Austin, uh, but it, it's it's kind of how this uh, the cocktail party conversation is um, around uh, energy consumption as well. You know, it's like these these hot button topics where you know people aren't you know don't care about certain things, and then they care about them only in regard to one particular topic. You know, so they're going to not talk about. Um, energy consumption about your electric vehicle, but you know they're going to worry about it when it comes to AI. So it, it's like they're these little hot button topics that just you know are kind of like the water cooler talk. Um, it seems to be about AI water cooler talk. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean it's just one of those things where like oh they they want to talk about something and have something to talk about and I, I get it like I'm the same way. I love to talk about the NBA. I don't get to talk about that as much as I would like, but it's uh, it, it's just one of those things that have to talk about. And I, it's the same kind of thing with privacy, to be honest. Like the privacy conversation for AI, I feel is very similar. People are like, oh, but what about my data? I'm like, you're putting in data to talk about a 20% discount you're offering over Labor Day. Like that's not a secret thing, guys. But <laughs> it shows you that, what matters oftentimes is more perception than the actual thing that they care about. So if there's a perception that OpenAI is training on your data, even if you can turn that off, people are not going to want to use it. So that's, that's probably the more interesting part that's starting to bubble up here is like the perception of ethics and the perception of privacy um, and how that's coming into the branding of these AI tools. Yep. Amazing. I love it. So, is there anything else, Brennan, that you'd like to tell the audience about Go Charlie before we wrap this up? Um, well, I certainly think that we're the cutest AI. Uh, so cutest I have a question AI. for you. Is um, it true that, so I was watching some of, so, and so hey, by the way, when I was doing research on 
on your company. I have to say, I came across an astonishing amount of YouTube like review videos. So I'd love to pick your brain on how you're able to achieve that. That was amazing. I'm like, I'm like, this guy's everywhere, right? But um, I came across an older yeah. one, and you're talking about how the goal was to make Go Charlie as fun as playing with a puppy, right? So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. That was a tagline that I thought was genius, and I got shot down so hard by the rest it's of the too team. too bad. That's a good one. Everyone loves uh, puppies, man. Like, come on. Like, if you can have a piece of software, <laughs> like, so my wife right now, so we had two dogs in, in our past, and they, they both passed away, um, you know, a little while ago. But, like, she's starting to come to the point where she's just like, I, we got to get a dog. We got to get a dog. And I'm like, I'm like, we already have two kids. We want to get a dog. But, like they're fun to play with, man. Like everybody loves a cute little puppy. So if you can just like emulate your product off of the puppy, I mean, that's like a, a recipe for success in my opinion. Right. Yeah. I mean, think, uh, I don't know. There's so many ways I've pitched this company at this point, And some of them are like super cringe and others are, are, are I, I think some stroke of genius we'll see in the long run, but like, there was one pitch where I got told by an investor that like the pitch should be AI saved my life because unknowingly when I first met Mike, I was working for SoftBank, which SoftBank's a really cool company. I had a great job that was paying me a lot of money, but it just wasn't what I wanted to do. And I was overworked and I was burnt out and I found this job and I found my spark again and I found my ability to be around people. And I was like, wow, well, why do I like this? And it was because it was fun. And then I started to realize, well, there's an angle here where you can make work fun by having this AI puppy that you can do things with that does your work for you, that effectively becomes your teammate. And so my hope long-term is that we kind of lean into that branding a little bit, but apparently business professionals don't like being cute. Um, so I, 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 like but time, I think that's like such an underserved thought. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, a, it's an underserved thought. Like, would I buy a product that makes work fun? Absolutely. Gamification, huge thing in software. If I could, like, I've thought about creating a side scroller of Go Charlie, where it's just the dog running while you're waiting for the prompts to come back. And I guarantee you that game would kill. People would just want to be on the loading yeah. screen just yeah. for that. And it's just, it's those funny things that kind of end up being big. So if I, if I bring that back to your question, right. Um, I think we're doing some pretty interesting things to go Charlie and we're one of the smaller players in a, in a big dog park. So uh, check us out. I think we make content creation as fun as playing with a puppy. Um, but more importantly, I think we try to do a good job of educating users about AI at large and, um, so if you have silly questions that you're too afraid to ask, we have all sorts of avenues for you to ask them to us for us to answer them. Awesome. Check it out at gogcharlie.ai. Yeah? Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I think that wraps it up. And um, hope the listeners really enjoyed this episode as much as we did. I thought it was a fantastic talk. So if you did, as always, feel free to subscribe. Hit the like button you know, help us get this podcast out. It's, it's really something that we feel passionate about and hope that everyone's really enjoying the journey that we're all on here together. So thank you. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>